raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Friend of the show, talking some NBA and more from SI, Pacers, Forbes, WTHR.com, and Locked On Pacers, Tony East, uh, joining us, waiting on hold right here. My bad. Sorry about that. Hanging in is my favorite thing to do. With you it makes me feel bad. That makes me feel mind. bad right there. But you know what? At least you get to listen to quality portions and content on this show That's on right. hold. That's right? right. That's what it's all about. Um, I want to double back, if you wouldn't mind, is what you got, what we witnessed on Thursday night, a lot of what you thought you were going to get, or how, how did that go for you on Thursday, just out of curiosity? Yeah, we talked a little bit, JMB. I kind of thought it would go similar to that in that I thought Walker was the guy – for a while, first of all, and I think he's a fantastic fit. And I thought they would try to find a way to trade some of their later picks for future stuff because they couldn't have picked the number of players that, of the same number of picks that they had. So, you know, I, maybe I thought they would end up with a veteran uh, from draft night, and they did not do that. But of their goals to me, which was acquire a good talent in the lottery and acquire future assets and get a veteran, they got two out of three done, which was pretty close to what I thought their night would look like. Yeah, and you believe when when Chad Buchanan mentioned that they were kind of out after some deals to add an already established player, you you buy that? You buy that they went at that hard, or was that a little bit more of an afterthought on this Thursday night than than what we might believe? That wouldn't have been my top goal, but I totally believe that they did that. Yeah, um, you know, this is a a strangish time of of the NBA trade landscape between really high prices for the absolute best talent. That'll, I think that'll reset a little this summer. And the other thing is uh, the new collective bargaining agreement for the league, which changes the rules for a lot of transactions, starts in five days, right? So some teams are operating under certain rules now that they can't operate under in, in less than a week, which kind of changes the way that some players can be dealt or how teams have to manage their money. So it is a little harder to kind of shake things. Some teams, it's really hard to shake things up because their situation is very favorable. And for other teams, it's super easy. You just saw the Hawks trade John Collins for a bag of peanuts, and that was the best thing for them to do. So, you know, I, I think that, yeah, they probably did go after some premier talent. He talked about that after the press conference they had on Friday, um, talking about that they had five or six guys that they were a little aggressive of pursuing, but none of them were ultimately available in the end, right? So I totally believe that they – did do that, but I don't think that was maybe their number one priority, or uh, and I uh, don't think it was necessarily plausible in the current landscape of the league. So Tony East, who joins us, how is the fit here with both Walker and Shepard moving forward? Obviously, uh, not a lot has been seen, I'm sure, by many with Ben Shepard out of Belmont, but uh, you've seen a lot of uh, Jarris Walker. How's the fit in year number one and your expectation? Yeah, I think he's a really good fit this year. Mostly, you know, the, the trouble's going to be, and this is true for every single rookie for the history of time, defending as a rookie is very hard, right? The NBA game's a lot different. It's a lot faster. you got to be able to read the game quickly and space out. And Walker is a defensive prospect, right? So the thing he's the best at, he might struggle with right out of the gates. But, you know, we've seen under Carlisle, there are talented rookies in lottery picks, right? 28 minutes a game for Duarte, you know, 28, a little over 28 for Matherin, a little under 28 for an M hard. Like that seems about right to me. A couple minutes at various positions for Walker this season as he kind of adjusts to NBA defense and can be kind of the perfect four piece for them. 
It might depend on what they do in free agency, but I think that makes the most sense for him as the kind of perfect way to bridge that you know, defending is, is harder in the NBA than it is at other levels, and uh, that's kind of exactly what the Pacers will kind of need from him because they want to be better next year, right? And so playing rookie significant minutes is, is tricky when you're trying to be good. So for a guy like Jarris who coming out of the gate is going to have to figure out stuff on defense somewhere in that 25 to 28 minutes range makes a lot of sense, and uh, they'll kind of figure out how they can use him as a defender and an offensive player where – you know, they've talked about how they like his, his offensive upside. He played point guard in high school uh, at IMG and, uh, you know, definitely showed some pass or some flashes, excuse me, of his passing ability at Houston. We'll see how uh, how much that translates right away and what that looks like. But certainly a guy that they can bring along a little bit slowly, depending on how the free agency goes, but definitely somebody that can fit in and help them uh, in some ways right away. Yes, Tony Easton joins us. I want to talk about the upcoming free agency and what could be an interesting three-week period. It certainly will around the NBA. I just don't know how deeply it might go with the Pacers. But with that in mind, from what you gather, what you gauge from the input you get via social media, where do Pacers fans expect them to be going into 23 and 24 and the outcome of that compared to what you believe the Pacers organizationally think they're going to be this coming year? Yeah, the, internet, the internet fan thinks they're going to sign uh, LeBron and MJ and uh, you know a couple guys of that caliber. More realistically, though, it's interesting because as of right the second of be talking to JMB, they only have one roster spot, right? Like they really can only sign one player and then their team is full, but that's kind of tricky because they have a ton of cap space and they have to get to 90% of the salary cap to uh, satisfy a new rule in the CBA. At least likely every team will try to do that before the season. So they've got to spend a pretty good amount of money on that one player or they have to make a trade. So their free agency period is going to be extremely interesting to me in terms of how they balance those two things I just said to you of how do they fill their finances and build their team out in a way that makes actual sense for them. And I think, you know, the the, play, the level of player that the fans sort of want and, and would like to see on this team, right, they haven't made the playoffs in three years, is kind of the player that would cost that much money. They don't have quite max space, but they could get a really good player. I mean, if somehow Jeremy Grant wiggled free, he'd be an amazing fit. For example, we've seen it floated now. Harrison Barnes, uh, Grant Williams. I'm trying to think if there's any other. Uh, Tobias Harris, for example, he's not a free agent, but could be a wonderful fit. I'm trying to think of well, uh, De- DeAndre Hunter, Hunter was one in Atlanta. I don't know what the effect might be with what took place with John Collins today. Yeah, they finally shed money, which means I think trading for Hunter would probably be a little harder just because yeah. you can't use that as a bargaining chip anymore if you're the Pacers. But you know, all those names are certainly going to be names that you'll hear a lot in the coming week. You know, They're forward, they're talented, and many of their cases could be under contract for a while. Kyle Kuzma, another name you'll probably hear in the coming week. I don't know how amazing any of those players are, but a lot of them are really good fits uh, with what the Pacers have and need and could definitely help them take the next steps. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of bridge what they can do versus what they should do, right? And and how they kind of feel about that. They made four picks. That surprised me a little bit in the draft, even though it sounds like only three of those rookies will be on the team this year. So I'll be fascinated to see how they use their space because, again, the biggest question I have is, are they really only going to sign one player or are they going to make a move to do more than that? Well, I was going to ask you this. In terms of what I feel they're going to do, it's going to come via a, a trade route. So you tell me who you believe uh, among the usual suspects here uh, might be offered up in a deal, both to get other talent in here and also to satisfy you know what's going to be a roster limit coming up. Yeah, it's interesting because 
you know, two of the names you'll probably hear a lot in trades is because of the, the new cap rules or because of the teams they're on are going to be two guys we just said, DeAndre Hunter and Tobias Harris, right? The Hawks uh, are in what I would consider to be maybe the worst financial spot for a team, and that's really expensive and not that good, right? They're running up against this new second apron. They're, they were close to the luxury tax. That's why they traded John Collins for what looks like very little return because they took back uh, such a little salary in that trade. So they might not be interested in that anymore, but if they still need to shed money, you know, DeAndre Hunter, four years, $95 million, I think, for him uh, with Atlanta right now. Like, if they want to shed more money, the Pacers could send out stuff for him that's way less in salary because the Pacers can take that into their space. And the other one we said is Tobias Harris, who makes $38 million this coming year or something around there, but um, is on an expiring contract. So it's not a long-term hindrance. It's just one year at that number. So, you know, if it was one of those two guys, of course, you could just say, you know, trade out one salary to get them. And then, you know, let's say it's pretty healed. You could still sign somebody else with the rest of your space. Or you could send a couple smaller salaries like, you know, Daniel Tice, Chris Duarte, and a young big. And then you'd still have a lot of space to work with and a bunch of roster spots, right? So there's some creativity involved, and it might depend on what the team receiving the Pacers players or, or stuff would want. Um, but either way, I think one of the Pacers' advantages is that they can offer savings, and a lot of teams are going to need that given the way that the new uh, CBA kind of encourages teams to be in certain salary ranges. Uh, hypothetically speaking here, what would DeAndre Hunter look like in the mix with the Pacers, Tony? I'm a fan of his more so than it seems like the public perception is. Obviously, the big thing for him, and something that will sour every fan away. His injuries have been horrible uh, in his career. He was relatively healthy his first season in the league, but then 23 games the second year, 53 mm. his third year, 67 last year is decent. But, like, he can shoot it pretty well, you know, about average on decent attempts in his career. He scored 15 points a game last year, and he's a good defender at his size, right? He's got quick feet, six foot eight. So I don't know if he's the perfect fit with, with anybody because he's kind of, like, just good enough on defense to call him a defensive wing and, just good enough as a shooter to say he's a shooter, even though he's not awesome at either one. But he's good enough at both that you could say, yeah, he fits in any lineup. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He never turns it over. He's rarely in the wrong spot. And he's kind of efficient, right? Like, that's a valuable player. And he's not that expensive to me, especially kind of giving out the new contracts. Look, he'd fit a huge need for the Pacers. He'd be their best rank wing right away. So I don't know exactly what his value is or if the Hawks think he's overpaid. But to me, he's a – prime target for them just given his position again we'll keep this in the hypothetical too when you consider what they would give up and what they get in return they being the pacers with the andre hunter would it be more of a risk considering his recent history of lack of health and injury or more of a risk if you ship somebody off to philly for tobias harris knowing that after one year he can bail what's the bigger risk yeah, I would say the one-year bail is definitely a big risk, especially for a team like the Pacers. Now, the thing is, with Harris bailing at $38 million, you'd immediately have that in space, potentially, although Tyrese Halliburton, assuming he gets an extension this summer, which I think that's the biggest story of the Pacers' free agency period, um, then the Pacers would immediately have his salary jump up and lose some of that space. So I generally think losing good players and assets for nothing is – about the worst thing that can happen to a team in the team-building process, right? It's it's never a good thing. That's why teams always try to trade away players if they have any risk of losing, uh, if they're not in a position to win significant games. So Hunter's injury history certainly not great, but you know he had like his rookie season. He, the, that was a shortened year because of COVID. 63 out of 72 is pretty good. 
67 last year isn't awesome, but it's pretty good. So it's two good years and two bad years, right? That's a little risky, certainly. But I would rather take that gamble than risk losing a player in one year, basically for any team in the league, unless it's a title contender like Philly, for example, where Tobias Harris currently plays. But that's just kind of what I think in the Pacers situation. They can't be wasting assets at this time. All right. Finney Smith was a name that was mentioned prior to the NBA draft, and uh, I guess it's a free agent. Cam Johnson's uh, a name that has been mentioned a number of times. What might you think would be the level of interest where the Pacers you know, maybe would have in either player? Yeah, Finney Smith played for Carlisle his whole career before uh, Carlisle came to the Pacers, obviously, and a uh, good 3-and-D player, right? He's been pretty running hot from three these last couple of years until going to the Nets where he didn't shoot it very well, and I think that's part of why the Nets would potentially look to trade him is he didn't play the best for them, and they're probably going to be expensive pretty soon, especially if they do keep Cam Johnson, and they'll still have Bridges and other guys who are who are up for deals. So I would get why they would look to move him, and he had a lot of value in that Kyrie Irving trade. Like, clearly he is a valued player in the NBA, and again, 3 and D wings, mega valuable, especially ones that know your head coach pretty well. So that would make sense to me for the Pacers to pursue him. I don't know a ton of reasons why the Nets would trade him away unless their finances got a little out of control, which is possible, certainly. Um, I'm not going to pretend like the Nets are a team that would cut money, though. You know, they have an owner that has spent uh, for years and years on their old team, so perhaps they're just willing to keep everybody. But uh, his contract's pretty solid, so if if they're not willing to trade him away, there's no issue there. He's got three more years, although the last year was a player option. And Cam Johnson is a free agent, but the tricky part of this, we talked about this all last summer with DeAndre Ayton, he's a restricted free agent, right? And it sounds like the Nets would match up to, you know, nearly – what is that nine figures? I can't even count. There's so many zeros on the end of some of these contracts, right? But you know, he's going to cost somewhere like probably ninety to a hundred million for a three and D wing who's twenty seven. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get him at all, and it's going to be really hard to pay him on a deal that's fair-ish and still good enough that the Nets would not match. And how much better is he really going to get at twenty seven? You know, I'm not going to say any player won't improve. He hasn't been in the league for that long, but you know, he's a really tricky one in that he'd be an awesome fit with almost every team in the league, right? If you can shoot and defend, that's awesome. He averaged 17 points a game for the Nets last year. It was great in the playoffs. But he's just in a really tricky spot with a strict free agency where it might be just too hard for any team, even teams with cap space, to actually acquire him. What about Kyle Kuzma? You know, uh, he's never been my favorite player, JMB, but that doesn't really matter. It, is, it matters if the Pacers like him or not. And uh, scoring 21 points per game doesn't just happen, right? He's clearly talented. Uh, his three's never been great, but... Uh, even on volume, the volume that he shot at last year, 18 shots a game, even being average from an efficiency perspective, is solid. Uh, it's not great. You'd obviously prefer better. But, you know, in, in, the, in many of the ways that I like Hunter more than the average fan is that he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Like, Kuzma misses a high volume of shots, turns it over, a decent amount, doesn't get to the line that much. So he's obviously talented and can score on the wing. But for a Pacers team prioritizing defense, I don't know that he's the best. He's not ever been the best on that end of the floor, but if you're six foot nine and can can score twenty points at your best, even not even at your best sometimes, that's a valuable player, right? I think he'll get a pretty big contract from someone this year. Maybe that's the Wizards, maybe it's not. Um, I don't know that he's the best fit with the Pacers, but if he's the best wing they can get, then they should probably still pursue it because as a talented unrestricted free agent at the size that they need, 
Uh, they could definitely do worse than bring him in. So, Tony East with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned this name, and I've I've always liked him a, a great deal. He always seems like he gets lost in the the proverbial shuffle. But uh, knowing, or I guess in this case, not knowing what's going to be going on in Portland, what's your thoughts on a guy like Jeremy Grant? You brought his name up a little bit earlier too, and and again, hypothetically, how he would could would enter the mix with this young and upcoming trending on the right way. Pacer squad. What do you think? Yeah, the only way I can, I mean, I, if I'm the Blazers, I'm keeping Grant anyway, even if Dame is traded. But the only way I can see him even being maybe available is if the Blazers decide to move on from Dame and they enter a, a new younger era with, you know, Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons and uh, Chris Murray. They just picked, you know, all those guys. They've got a solid young core already started. Uh, they got really lucky in the lottery this year to do it, but you no, know, that matters. And so, if they trade Dame, like, what's Jeremy Grant going to really help you with, right? Your team's not trying to be awesome next year if you trade away Damian Lillard. So, if that – this is a lot of hypotheticals, and I hate going down, you know, if this happens and this happens. But if that all happens and Jeremy Grant's available, I mean, he's probably, to me, the best fit of any free agent on the whole market for the Pacers this summer. I mean, can play three and four, right? So, can play with Walker and uh, – without Walker, which would be huge for the Pacers, has been a 20-points-per-game score across the last three seasons combined. He's only 29, so he's not so old that you're scared about his contract. And he can shoot now, 37% from three over those three seasons. Like, that efficiency is really hard to find. He, uh, like, again, doesn't turn it over much. His defense is really solid, probably the best of anybody we've really talked about today. Has that Team USA experience, right? He's been rewarded for his good play in the past. He's not quite all-star level, but... Given what he can do in terms of scoring and defending and being a decent connecting piece, he's okay on the glass. Like I think he'd be a, a near-perfect fit with the free agents out there for the Pacers. They can certainly afford him. Uh, I don't know how long of a contract he'd be looking for, but they could certainly per year probably afford him. So if it somehow happens that the Blazers weren't going to keep him, it's, again, all signs point to him staying in Portland. But if it, somehow that's not the case, he would be – a fantastic fit with what the Pacers is right now. Uh, any any free agents out there? Or may, even any trade scenarios considering you know, salary cap situations with teams in the NBA that nobody's talking about but you might be thinking about right now? Anything? Yeah, I like Grant Williams a lot. I think I brought his name up earlier. But yep. the Celtics just brought in money right in that Porzingis trade when they sent away Marcus Smart to bring him in. They're, they're expensive now. And if they pay Grant Williams, they're going to be blowing over some of those new thresholds, which maybe they're okay with that. But uh, if they're not, which who knows, especially because Jalen Brown next year is also potentially going to be more expensive. A guy like Grant Williams, you know, former pretty high pick in the first one. When he goes 17th, I can't remember. It doesn't matter for this conversation. But who I thought was really good, yeah, 22nd. Uh, I thought was really good in that draft. He can really shoot it. Uh, 38% for his career in the last three years, I believe over 40%, um, is a really solid defensive player. Plays with his body is huge. Like I think he'd fit the Pacers really well at his age, too. He's only 24. I think that'd be uh, a really impressive pickup by the Pacers. Other free agents I kind of like, although not on longer deals. Joe Ingles, I've always thought, is pretty good. I don't know if the Bucks are going to be able to afford to keep him or not. Georges Niang, a former Pacer who... Uh, is very tight with Tyrese Albert, and I think from Iowa State uh, is where their connection really comes from. Those two names kind of stand out to me as as you could be good for this team because they could play three or four, and in Yang's case can really shoot it. I mean, one of the better shooters in the whole league. I don't know why Philly would let him go, but he's unrestricted. If he you know wants to join the Pacers and play with his friend, why not? And 
the trade market's a little harder to predict, right? Especially with the draft being over now, it's a little harder to see exactly who could be available. But those are some names that aren't discussed as much as stand out to me as potential fits. So Tony East with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I brought up the two-way player drafted or undrafted guy out of Kentucky, the big man Oscar Sheboy. Is is there a way? And I just mentioned this because of his his strength and ability and his rebounding ability with a team that has little to no rebounding ability, uh, really outside of one. Um, is does he got a chance on this roster, especially if they decide against rolling further down the road with a couple or maybe even one backup big that currently resides on the roster? Is there a chance there at all? You know, if they keep all the, you, you nailed the part that matters here. Like, if they keep all the backup bigs they have, I doubt it. You know, there, there's just too much in his way. But, you know, you've seen these rebounding guys on two-way deals pop for the Pacers before. Remember, Terry Taylor was, like, came out of nowhere but was killing it with their G League team and grabbing, like, every miss for game after game. And they gave him a two-way. And guess what? In the NBA, his rebounding was just as valuable, right? That's a skill that translates level to level pretty well. You know, even in the pros, Terry Taylor's offensive rebound rate was like top five in the league. And we're talking about a small sample, but he was six, five, like he was a beast on the glass for his size. And that stuck with him when he went to the bowls as well. You know, I think in that way, if Shibuya ends up getting any time in the pros, like that rebounding is going to look impressive. And you don't have what he averaged 15 rebounds a game as a junior. That's ridiculous, right? Like that's going to be something that is available to him in, in the pros or in the G league. If he plays a lot with the Maddens, I don't know how much, time he'll get on the NBA floor, but you know, I think that is something that if there are minutes that open up for him or if something drastic happens and the Pacers need him to play, he's going to look good because that's a skill that, that does slide from level to level. The questions are going to be, you know, can he finish plays, right? He hit 56% of his twos this past season. That's not awesome given the shots that he takes, but his efficiency is still fine. Um, can he do all, all the other stuff? Like, can he defend the bigs in the NBA? Can he run perimeter to perimeter line? We'll see, but his rebounding could just be so good that you live with some of the flaws, right? You saw that with Terry Taylor, the Pacers started him. Remember, remember last year, Miles Turner got hurt opening night with that ankle roll. They started Terry Taylor. They thought he was the best option to move in there, and the rebounding was valuable. Like, if you're that good of a rebounder, there can be a role for you, and I think Shibuya could uh, end up proving that once again. We'll see how many other backup big stick with this Pacers team, though. Yeah, my, my Twitter account incredibly remembers opening night, Miles, and the ankle roll. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that feel like it was way, way longer than whatever that was eight months ago? I mean, that feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of things have happened, and especially I, I think what has also helped uh, with that lens in mind, that perspective, Tony, is the fact that you know they're trying every which way they can to get rid of DeAndre Ayton now after matching that, that offer sheet. I, you know, I, I mentioned this. When, when teams play well, it's one thing, but when you start rolling, and I think that's what Pacer fans are hoping for right now, you also are met with good fortune. Sometimes good fortune rides shotgun with you because other things, other decisions, your level of play is also going right. And I think you saw that. I mean, they had a bit of good fortune right there. Because you, you kind of wonder, and again, it's I think it's easy to say that well, you got Tyrese Halliburton, and Aiton would have been fine here. But the way that he has been a, a, a malcontent in Arizona, seemingly a great situation for him, especially a high level winning possibility situation for him. Uh, as, as I mentioned to Chad Buchanan, the Pacers have to feel fortunate that the Suns matched almost this time last year. The key was. 
so good in that 2021 playoffs. And I can't believe that he hasn't been able to get back to that level. Or sometimes, like, you can point to the effort, and, I, you know, maybe this is too harsh to say that, been willing to get back to that level of player. Like, he was getting 12 boards a game and hitting something like 70% of his shots in that year they went to the finals. And ever since then, that that, that player just hasn't been there. And maybe that's just because he's wanted a bigger role that – Monty Williams wasn't willing to give him, but I mean, look at their team now. There's no way he's getting more touches now than nope. he was. He was then certainly. So uh, I don't know if if it was truly just the coaching and not having Monty Williams could be what he needs to kind of be reinvigorated and keep going. It sounds like some reporting says they're not going to trade him, which is interesting to me. I mean, they're going to be such a top-heavy team, regardless of what I think. Though, yeah, I think the Pacers certainly. Have luck riding shotgun with them on this one. That right after the Suns match, Turner was better than him immediately. Right? Yes, so, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Took him ninety minutes. I had ninety minutes of content last July when they signed him to an offer sheet, and then before the end of the show, uh, Phoenix had matched that. So it was that's a good show for you, though, right? Yeah, ninety yeah ninety minutes of content. <laughs> ninety minutes of content, quality content in three hours is a high water mark for this show right here. Hey, Tony, one. Final quick thing before I let you go here. Tony East again joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte. Of those four players, which are the ones or maybe only one that's most likely not to be on the roster to start the season to you? Well, it's not a good answer. You know, the, the draft definitely didn't help uh, – Buddy Heald's case that they picked another two guard. The only reason I'm going to say his name is because of his contract. He only has one year left on his deal, and that always makes a player potentially plausible to be traded. But he is the best of those players by a lot and is close with Halliburton and is good for this Pacers team. And so, you know, perhaps that's the reason enough to trade him. But if not, if they are, you know, just doing a move that helps another team do cost cutting, I would say the most likely is Isaiah Jackson. He probably has the most value to another team given his contract and Smith and Jackson were splitting time last year. They're pretty equally impactful. So I would say Jackson and Heald would be the top two for me, although I, I would understand if they dealt any of those guys, how it would help their team and balance their roster a bit. It's uh, Tony East again, Forbes, WTHR.com, SI Pacers, Locked On Pacers. You can find all of his work uh, among those sites, and we have him on here as often as possible via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Man, we'll stay in touch here and find out what happens coming up in the next three weeks and see if we get some fireworks. I appreciate you. (laughs) You got it. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, uh, his partner has been broadcasting live from the ultra-crappy state of Michigan. I know, Traverse City, great. Uh, He's been home-based here 
downtown. He will be for the rest of the week. Jake Query on the morning show. Kevin and Query on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, Kev's in Michigan, huh? He is in uh, Spider Lake, which I had never heard of until today. A Fire That's Lake? Apparently. That's a Bob Seger song. You say Spider or Fire Lake? No, Fire Lake uh, is Seger. Spider okay. Lake, uh, presumably it has eight fingers or arms that go off of the lake, I guess, which would be why it would be called Spider Lake. I hey, assume. Spider. Every time I hear the word Spider, I think of Joe Pesci's role in Goodfellas. Hey, Spider. So you're not a fan of Michigan? I think Michigan sucks. My only thing with Michigan is this. Michigan's cool. I got no problem with Michigan, except for that I don't know why this is, but at least in lower southern Michigan, they don't mow the medians. Like, every every median in Michigan looks like 25th and Shadeland. It's like, can somebody come out and, and just landscape it a little bit and like make it look like you're having an effort to keep it clean? Nah, they don't have weed eaters in Michigan. Jake? But I will say this, though. Dr. Motman grew up in Grand Rapids, went to Michigan State undergrad, and went to Wayne State Medical School. And Yeah, there's a, that's like it. a trio of suck right there. <laughs> it is. It is, except for, the, except for that when I went in and said, look, my heart's got 100% clot in it, he figured out how to take a coat hanger through it and break the clot, so that worked. So in that regard, what, what did he get at Wayne State University? What? That's where we went to medical school. Oh, wow. Is that a big – Wayne State University, a big medical school deal up there? So, apparently, it's the biggest medical school in the state of Michigan. I had no idea. Yeah, I've nor did I. I was like, really? Wayne State? Okay, sure. I, You know, it's like a – I thought it was like a commuter school. But he's like, no, it's the largest medical school in the state of Michigan. And I said, okay, sure, sounds good. Um, but clearly, they, they taught him right. That's all I know is because, like I said, he can – he can thread something through an aorta. He's got to be doing something right. And no doubt about that. That takes a special skill. Uh, he's seen you both inside and out. That's fantastic. <laughs> he has that. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Somebody uh, but, tried to tell me once. Actually, no names mentioned here, but um, somebody offered me a cigar once in front of Mopman. And I said, man, I can't, have, I can't have a cigar yet until this guy tells me I can't. And they said, well, why can't he have a cigar? And Mottman said, well, I put a stent in his heart, so probably be good for another six months if he waits it out. And the person said, well, what are your qualifications? <laughs> well, I, I think the qualifications are I just put a stent in his heart. That sounds like a pretty good qualification. That is, that's outstanding right there. It is. It's uh, Jake Cray yeah. with us. Uh, Kevin Bowen's up in uh, Michigan. Spider Lake, evidently. We'll make fun of that coming up on Wednesday with Kev, I'm sure. I didn't want to get to this before we got to the noteworthy sports news items, both uh, here locally and uh, throughout the nation. But you tweeted something. You and I were going back and forth. I was done with the Jamby takeover on Saturday. I got home about 2 in the morning, um, and we were tweeting back and forth, I think, after that time. And that's basically around 2.30 when things uh, incredibly unfortunate and tragic went down in Broad Ripple. And, and we're both really close friends to Rob Sabatini. Um, who has uh, what uh, Mineshaft, Average Joe's, and Rock Lobster there uh, for basically the past, I don't know, 30 years or so. I know that yeah. they're celebrating that going on right now. Uh, and along with, you know, with, with others, because I do a lot of remotes up there, especially during the football season. Um, I, it, it's all too familiar story. It just is. John, I think what happened was, and I don't know what, what, what is – to be done about this you know i mentioned this morning 
you know, Broderbull to me, I mean, I worked in Broderbull for years in the cigar store on, on Broderbull Avenue. I spent the better part, you know, I watched all the great Pacers, Knicks games, and, you know, just the coming of age with your buddies and everything. And yep. all those all those places. I mean, you mentioned Sabatini's place and the Vogue and Old Pro's Table and, you know, all of it. It right? was a rite of passage to see a girl pee in the men's room sink. That is true. That is true. The alley cat. You can probably see that nightly, the alley cat. But I love the alley they're cat. They're all great. Yeah. They're all great establishments. And I, I really think, you know, there are two things that come into play here. The first is, and I think this is easy to forget, but as I was telling my buddies, I'm like, you know, in 1995, when I was going to Broderpool, my parents were both natives of Indianapolis. You know, Broderpool to them was where – you know, you had G.C. Murphy's General Store and the movie theater and, and the hardware store. You know, it was a it was a little town. And, you know, I'm sure they were like, wow, like kids go there for bars now. That's cool, you know, et cetera. But the places that my parents had gone in their 20s or 30s were passe. I mean, they, they weren't places that I went to in my 20s and 30s. There's an evolution that takes place there. I understand that. But Broderpool was a viable nightlife opportunity and, and option, I guess you'd say, for people Always has been for the last 30 years. Still yeah, is. It is. But I think when the Super Bowl happened, John, the the city of Indianapolis, and I understand it, but I think that they took a lot of the the areas that were troubled, I'll say that, the troubled areas or the troubled hot spots in downtown. They wanted to clean them up. And they kind of pushed that, that audience outward. And, you know, they cleaned up Mass Ave and they redid Fountain Square and they made the South Strip of Meridian there before they had some problems there. They cleaned that all, that area up. And then the people that, you know, I mean, people still have to have places to go. And I think some of the troubled areas moved north into Broderpool. And it's been tough for Broderpool to, to escape that. I still want to let people know I love Broderpool. I love going to dinner there. I think it's still, uh, admittedly, after 11 or 12 o'clock at night, things clearly are troublesome there's no doubt about it but it shouldn't stop people from feeling welcome to go there for lunch for afternoon shopping on the weekends to go to the shop on broaderpool avenue to go to union jacks for dinner um to enjoy you know an afternoon lunch or, or even i mean i go and and have a beer after dinner on my you know i think i did three it, shows the last it, six it, or so I, months there i was at uh yeah, broad I, I mean, yeah broaderpool tavern alley cat we were at uh average joe's been all over up there yeah, I mean, th- there are a couple of troubled areas for sure, and there are clearly people that are that are. And you know, when I was going out there in my twenties, there were always like knucklehead. We call them the bridge kids back then. But you know, there were always people that were troubled hanging out in Broderpool. They just weren't carrying guns. And I don't want to get into the gun conversation. It's a no-win conversation. Nobody's mind is going to be changed. But you know, that that's clearly an issue. Uh, I'm not saying guns are the issue, but people carrying them is an issue. And um, you know, and it's it's become troublesome. And it's, like I said in my tweet, there, there's no other way to say it other than it pisses you off because it was a great and, and still is a great area of Indianapolis with a lot of great people. And unfortunately, a small minority are making it troublesome and making it less desirable for a lot of people that have enjoyed it greatly. Yeah, it um, it, it certainly was. I mean, I know my early stages before uh, turning 21 with a fake and then uh, after that. You know that was just kind of, that was a, that was always a rite of passage. I mean, hell, look where I'm from. It was a, like a rite of passage. Yeah, you got to go to Broad Ripple. You got to see Broad Ripple. You got to do that. And uh, yeah, it um, it certainly is uh, a lot different now. But um, there's so many people up there we love, we enjoy 
you know, totally. being with, hanging out with. I, I mean, there's. I want to do um, a rock lobster. I want to get there and DJ on a Friday night at some point. Now, again, John, I'd be out of there by good. nine just because I get tired. But <laughs> well, you know, Rob Sabatini that owns those three bars. Yes, you're not going to find anybody on the north side of Indianapolis that works harder to to make three establishments enjoyable and welcoming for everybody. For everybody. Anybody that wants to come and have a good time and hang out with their friends and meet people and socialize, Rob Sabatini wants that for everybody. And and it's a shame that there are, you know, a small percentage of knuckleheads, not even in his establishments, not really in any of the establishments, just along the strip outside these places that are ruining it for everybody. It sucks. It sucks because guys like Rob work their tail off they they love everybody they they just want people to have an opportunity to come and meet their neighbors meet their friends and hang out and have a good time and you know same with old pros table same with broadable tavern same with the vogue i mean there's plenty of places around there that are just being victimized by knuckleheads and it's, a, it's just a shame so Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I brought this up uh, also at the outset of the show. Uh, I get caught up sometimes. Like I was with the Reds. I still am with the Reds. I mean, two consecutive losses. Um, they didn't expect anything whatsoever. Maybe the worst record in MLB this year. They won 12 consecutive half game in front of the NL Central end of June. I dig that. Um, the Pacers gave us that last December, uh, which was a, a bit inspiring with winning. They got everybody excited. I assume that the Colts are going to give you moments of, oh, wow, and then moments of regret this season. Is that going to be enough for everybody to maintain, or is there still going to be a patience factor with our local teams? Because we have witnessed, the fans here have witnessed a hell of a lot of losing over the years. Well, I think the Pacers ripped one more page off of that calendar. I think they're I think they're a step ahead of the Colts in that regard. In other words, the, the Pacers and Colts both reached a point where they just said, look, we, we got to start this whole thing over again. And from the basketball side of things, I think the Pacers, and it's easier to do with only five guys as opposed to, you know, a bigger roster, but the Pacers took a big step last year. And they at least, what the Pacers did last year is they not only showed a foundation, but then they went out and they showed that that foundation does indeed have some roots to it with Halliburton and Matherin. You know, you see these guys can play. So now it's a matter of just cultivating it and watching it grow before us. The Colts, on the other hand, have laid before us on paper the foundation, Anthony Richardson and, you know, maybe Alec Pierce and and some of the younger players they have. But now they are – this is the season where we see whether or not that is a group that they can cultivate. And we're going to find out whether or not this is the direction is the right one and whether or not then – in fact, Colts fans need to be patient for a year of the growing pains and whether or not they have the right pieces. The Pacers, clearly the pieces the Pacers decided to go with, have shown them promise. The Colts have to hope now this year that that promise is also shown by on-field production from the young players that very clearly we can see they've selected. We just haven't seen what they can do. No, I, I definitely think that you got to show some things. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what the Pacers went through, as we've talked yeah, about a sure. year ago. Where um, with, with the Colts, though, it's different because there have been so many promises, broken promises, uh, things that uh, they never got done. It's been a long time now. So something more long-lasting. 
I think, is needed here. I just don't think – somebody asked me yesterday what I thought their record was going to be, and I said somewhere in the neighborhood of six wins, right? Um, yeah, I'd say seven, yeah. I, I will seven. say this, though. Their schedule is conducive for them to be competitive. Totally agree. And that, I mean, is that – should that help? Oh, it absolutely should help, of course. I mean, it, it, that's why the, the league is set up that way. You have a disastrous year. The league is set up for the next season to be more favorable for you so that you can bounce back. I, I think the difference in this market between the Colts and the Pacers and, and the way that the fans, you know, the perceptions of it, the Pacers made – Kevin Pritchard came out and made no bones about it. Kevin Pritchard came out and said – because he knew fans were getting restless with, with just being stuck in that seven to eight seat every year. And he came out and said, look, here's the bottom line, guys. We get it. We get it, and it sucks, but we're going to suck for a while. And we're not going to be very good, and we've got to, we're tearing this thing down and building it back up, and we just hope you get on board with us. And I think people appreciated that transparency. And Chris Ballard – routinely was, well, you guys don't know what you're talking about, and, and I do. And I'll give Chris Ballard credit because last year, for the first time, he came out and said, you know what, I, I made, I erred. We had a bad year, and it's on me, and I didn't address areas that I needed to, and now I'm going to. And I think fans will appreciate that transparency. I just think the Colts were a year behind um, where the Pacers are in terms of these two these two respective, essentially, rebuilds. The, the Colts are you know they're following suit now and hoping for the same type of results but i would agree with you i think the schedule is favorable and you just never know there's always a couple of teams that come out of nowhere there's always a couple of teams that that you think are going to be good or terrible you can never know with injuries but i think seven and ten six and eleven you know eight and nine you know those are all pretty realistic if they if a couple of ball, you know, you look at the first year of Andrew Luck, John, we've talked about it before. The first year of Andrew Luck and, you know, Chuck Pagano leaves and Arians comes in and you have turmoil, but literally every ball bounced their way. A lot of it was kudos and credit to that team and their veteran leadership. Reggie Wayne was huge that year, but things went their way. And they also had a stretch where they went like four straight weeks playing the other teams back up or third string quarterback due to injuries. Things just went their way. Sometimes you need some luck and you don't apologize for it. No doubt. Uh, Jake Query with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So what are you saying, around seven, sitting here right now with me? Is that what you think? I would say seven. Yeah. If I had to pick it, I'd say seven. I'd put the over and under. I'd put the over under for the Colts at seven and a half. I don't know how hot that ticket's going to be. Kind of funny. I was looking at ticket prices right now. Uh, they go as low as $21. Uh, that is the January 7th game against Houston. Of course, 423 is uh, that ticket price in Frankfurt, Germany. That's right. I'm just looking at it uh, as of right now uh, next to these particular games. But it is it is a schedule. At least you can be competitive. So, Are you going to Germany? Are you going to Germany for that game? I have not been told yet. I haven't been told anything yet. So I don't know. You know what? If, my if, big mouth is made. Maybe my big mouth got me in trouble on a variety of fronts. That remains to be seen. What if what if we did this? If we don't go, what if we just do a remote from Frankfurt, Indiana? Can well, we just get a bunch of people to watch the Colts game in Frankfurt, Indiana? Or the Rathskeller or Schnitzelbank. <laughs> the Rathskeller is more convenient for certain, <laughs> no, right? We'll go to Jasper and go to the Schnitzelbank and do it down there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I. It's funny. You look at that on the schedule. That's November the twelfth, right? And you, you kind of wonder. You kind of wonder if there will be an inspiration in ticket sales 
if they win some games that you didn't think or they're having a type of early season you didn't think they were going to have, it's going to be interesting to see maybe people are a little bit apprehensive right now to go at that kind of a wait-and-see situation, I guess. Yeah, you know, you always hear people that are like, well, I'm going to turn in my tickets or surrender. When it comes down to it, people are still going to do their tickets. They're still going to go because it's only eight, 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 you know, what is it, eight games a year, eight home games a year? Right. People don't want to miss out. And and you also don't want to miss out because in the NFL, it's very rare, you know, unless you are – I mean, I guess the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions, but it's very rare that you are terrible for more than like two or three consecutive years. So especially in this market, people don't want to bypass and turn in their season tickets because they're, they're terrified. You know, I mean, what if you do, and then all of a sudden, boom, Anthony Richardson turns out to be the real deal. And you've got eight to 10 years of fabulous entertainment. Like they've, like we've seen in the past with different quarterbacks, people don't want to miss out on that. Next three weeks here. We didn't have fireworks last Thursday. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you, with your conversation you and Kevin had with Chad Buchanan, uh, you know, Chad mentioned that they were working things behind the scenes, things that just did not come to fruition. You think we will see some roster maneuvering? You know, more of a fireworks, a lukewarm fireworks display coming up here in the next three weeks. You think? I actually do. You know, Chad Buchanan kind of alluded to that because I asked him, I think at one point, like, are you done now? And he said, no, I think we're still active. So, you know, they have some pieces in terms of future picks and and flexibility. I mean, Duarte, as you mentioned, and probably Isaiah Jackson or or Jalen Smith are guys that you would think if someone gave – I think they're still intrigued by Isaiah Jackson. I really do. But – Jalen Smith last year, while he had moments and, and was a really good player two years ago, I think he he was a bit of a disappointment last year once they signed him. And poor Duarte, I mean, this is a guy that, that was thought to be kind of a centerpiece, and I think he's – and I, I hate saying this to knock on him because he's a, he's a multi-talented guy and he's seemingly a good teammate, but he feels to me like the kind of guy that we figured out. If he's giving you 20 a game, you're probably not very good if he's your centerpiece. So – you know, he just kind of gets edged out. I, I just don't know what the, the market is for any of those guys. You probably have to package. They do have, obviously, an extra pick for next year. It's going to be in the 20s somewhere. Um, you know, could they get, as Kevin mentioned this morning, you know, could they go out and get a Harrison Barnes or, or someone of that ilk, possibly? Um, O'Shea Brissett is also another possibility because he plays a position that they could, you know, he could back up now. And, and maybe groom Walker Buchanan did say Chad Buchanan did say to us that they really like having at least one just guy that contributes in terms of veteran leadership versus on court stuff. You know, Johnson was at a year ago. I think Brissett can be that kind of guy and he's not going to be overly expensive and he's out there and nobody else to my knowledge has, has talked about signing him. So I, I think John, there will be, there could still be a move or two, but I don't think they're going to be seismic. I think they're going to be, accessories that are added to what is the main core. Think there's any way that Oscar Shibway at some point unseats somebody on that roster? And, and here's why I bring this up. I'm not suggesting this is going to happen. I'm not suggesting this will occur. But he is a yeah, he's a dude when it comes to rebounding. And oh, this team rebounding wise stink, stank, and stunk at it. And I'm not again suggesting this year because, you know, there's going to be a lot of time before he can possibly prove that. But I guess if I were to ask you this, is there an opportunity because of his rebounding prowess for him to unseat somebody ultimately on this roster? 
I think there is because I think it's coveted. I mean, you look at, and I realize it's you know, a little bit of a different era, but like Alizé Johnson, you know, he lasted and got plenty of, of minutes with the Pacers because he could rebound. I mean, that was his thing, right? Um, and that I, I think that if you are a specialty guy like that and you can do it as well as anybody in the league, um, and I'm not saying that that's what he's going to be able to do, but, I mean, that's what his specialties in college, he did it as well as anybody in the country. If he can come in and give them spot rebounding, then, yeah, that's an area of need for them. I mean, no question about it. I, he might be a little undersized, um, but he's going to get an opportunity, I, I think. I mean, not an opportunity right away to start, but I think he's going to get an opportunity to show what he can do. He's going to be on a two-way contract, and I think early on they probably will get him some minutes before Carlisle you know, shortens his rotation, and, and they'll give him a good look and see what can be there, and, and it is a an area of need. So anytime that you come in, and your specialty is one that the team is lacking in, that's a huge advantage for you. And, it, and I'm assuming that's part of the reason why Indiana was the team he signed with. So Jake Query, who is with us, seems like that there were a lot of people, and, and I understand it. I mean, IU fans got up in arms. Why was it so hard to understand that uh, – the, the better spot was Golden State for him. I mean, you you don't want him to be, you know, drafted here over somebody you're going to send overseas uh, because he played well for four years at IU or because he was Mr. Basketball. You want him to go someplace where he has a legitimate opportunity, and that's what he got. Why weren't people happy? A lot of IU fans unhappy with the way he was treated in that draft. I, I think – Probably because they didn't know the full scenario, which I think that scenario was once it got to a certain point in the draft, you know, I, I think, I mean, Chad Buchanan said it. I mean, Indiana, you know, whether it was Jackson Davis himself or probably more likely his representatives said, listen, unless you are planning on putting him on a full-time contract, then we would opt that you not draft him. And as Buchanan said, we didn't want to draft a guy here that, that didn't want to be here. And I think they understood also. Now, the one area with Chad Buchanan that, I mean, who am I to disagree with him? He's the general manager of the team. But when he said Trace Jackson Davis was coming in at a position that they were already full, I, they're full at the five. I, I thought, I think he can play the four. And there was opportunity probably as a backup at the four for the Pacers. But they may not feel like he defensively can, can guard far enough out from the basket to play the four. So maybe they're thinking he is strictly a five. But I think he didn't want to go on a two-way contract. They were assuming that drafting at 55, they wanted a player who could go on a two-way contract. So they opted to go elsewhere. And then, of course, he ends up at Golden State where he's had a great opportunity because he's going to be the biggest guy on their roster. You have yet to see what happens to Draymond Green, but I do think he has passing from the post-type capability that Green does. I don't know that he can play the high-low as well as Draymond Green, but I think he's going to have a great opportunity in Golden State. And if I'm Trace Jackson Davis, and I think sometimes, John, it's good for guys to get away from home a little bit, especially when their father played for that franchise. That's a lot of pressure on a guy. So I would be perfectly – if I'm Trace Jackson Davis, I'm thrilled. I get to live in the Bay Area. I get to play with one of the great guards of all time. I get to play with one of the great outside shooters of all time. And I play for an organization that has a history of being able to utilize guys at my position to facilitate those shooters. I'd be thrilled with it. Was, um, I was absolutely thrilled when I learned that Golden State got back in to get him at 57. I don't know if it's going to, to pan out. I don't know how long. If it does pan out initially, it might go. It may end up being like, you know, like Jordan Bell, for example. 
when he kind of he was in that starting lineup with Golden State for maybe a year or two, and then you know faded away as a a second round selection in somebody that was a rim runner, played some defense and rebounded as well, and clearly that's what they're going to call upon him. But to get the opportunity to at least make yourself known, make a statement, get yourself some clock, and then be a part of a winning all-or-nothing organization when you first come out of college. And again, given your circumstances at the end of Thursday night, early Friday morning, could not have turned out any better for him on the surface. Not any better. I've also always felt like, John, you get to a point in the draft where if you're not going to be drafted, like you get to a point in the draft where you're like, you know what, at this point I'm better off being a free agent because I can pick the situation most advantageous for me. And he was getting close to that. But as it turns out, he ended up getting drafted to the situation most advantageous for him. So worked out well for Jackson Davis in the end. Hey, really quick, I got to go really quick. I'm going to ask you this, and we'll remember this. File it away and go to it next time you're on. I wanted to ask you this, and I'm saying really quick, and I'm going long-winded right here, but if you're going to choose a decade in which you've already lived or a decade in which you did not live that you would like to experience either again or for the first time, what decade would it be, Jay Query? I think the 20s would be fascinating, except for that the back end of it really sucked. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think think it would be the 90s because I think I would want to stop and smell the roses even more than I did. Um, But we're always nostalgic for situations in our 20s. But I, I did love the 90s from a personal standpoint. It would be that. But from a societal standpoint and just in terms of, the culture of the music and, and, and everything else, I, I think the 20s would be fascinating. But there was an era that wasn't fascinating for all people, and for that reason, it would be hard for me to probably thoroughly enjoy it. The, 197, the 1970s. Just think about yeah, that. The 70s, the 70s would be up there, too. I, I, polyester doesn't jive real well with me. You'd probably have to have a lot of gold bond powder, but um, but other than that, it'd be cool. I, mean, right? I can see me with a porn stash, bare-chested, <laughs> Laying on a bearskin rug and, and, and eating uh, eating uh, things I'm dipping in cheese. That sounds like Ron Burgundy stuff right there, but it's not. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the 1970s personified, right? <laughs> that's me. Gas was only 27 cents a gallon for the vast majority of it. Exactly, but you know, unfortunately, for the gallon. people forget it was 27 cents a gallon, but you only had like 20 cents in your pocket back then, too. So. Mm-hmm. That was and even. you had a Ford LTD that got four and a half miles to the gallon. You know, everybody felt that Brute by Fabergé smelled great then, too. <laughs> What's the turnoff now? I, th- I still think Brute smells great. I think it smells like a dude. Why Why is it such a turnoff? <laughs> <laughs> because it's also 27 cents a gallon. <laughs> I mean, they put it, you ever go to go to Kroger or to CVS, it's on the bottom damn shelf. It's like, all right, <laughs> if you're trying, this is your last resort. If you have BO and you can't get anything else, here's your last resort down there. There it is. How about uh, Skin Bracer? Did you like Skin Bracer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was an aftershave, not a cologne, but still. Yes, absolutely. So. Just. Smells like freshness. Aqua Velva? I put all that on me. There you go. Yeah. So, 
Oh, anyway, God, yeah, I think yeah, I think brute smells. Brute smells like a dude. It's like you announce your presence with authority. Like I give you this: if you smell Dracar before the person wearing Dracar gets there, you know that you're going to be talking to a douche, right? That's how it it, it announces the douche's presence with authority. But brute announces a dude's presence. Like said, here comes the dude. And he's ready to smoke some cigarettes. This way, if you smell brute, Sam Elliott's walking around the corner. <laughs> right? He, he got a carton of cigarettes and he's ready to rock. What are we do? into tonight? Yeah. All right, you got uh, and you got a little Samson family business to take care of tomorrow morning out here, correct? I do Kelvin Sampson's son, who's an assistant at Houston and was the guy that worked a lot with Walker, is going to mm-hmm. join us tomorrow to find out more about what the Pacers are getting. So that's one of the conversations we will get into tomorrow. Tony East going to join us as well. Got it, buddy. I appreciate you, Dake, man. We'll talk later on this week. Hey, come down if you can. Walk-ons Wednesday. Um, Irea's Thursday. Good times. Ooh, Irea's. Love that, man. And walk-ons, too. Both of them. I'll probably see, see you at one of them. Got it, buddy. I appreciate you. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.